only one more shopping day left until Valentine's Day, a day that we celebrate love, the love we have and the love that we receive from friends, parents, that special certain someone we're romantically inclined. You know, now people uh, tend to give gifts on Valentine's Day. And uh, um, I did a little research on the internet uh, this last week and and found some gifts that you should avoid. And they're right here. The first one is, uh, ladies, don't get your guys those love glasses. Uh, They don't need them. Uh, Maybe also don't get that shirt that says, I love my geek. Not, not a fun. And, and men, don't, uh, don't splurge on these gifts for your, for your wife or special someone. Don't give them a scale <clears throat> or wrinkle cream. Wouldn't be a good idea, at least not this day. <laughs> and then kind of avoid the uh, heart-printed toilet paper. It's just too rough. <laughs> here's, here's a few others that I thought were interesting. Now, you know, this, this coupon thing, uh, you know, a certificate for a hug, that's great other times of the year, not on Valentine's Day. You know, Valentine's Day is a step up. And, and then, I, I love this one, it's called the Hot Shot. It's a little disc, no, that's it, no, go back. Yeah, that little one's called the Hot Shot, it's a little disc thing, you put a little message on the little disc and you shoot it at someone. <laughs> not quite the Valentine gift you want to give. This next one... I, I, I kind of liked it, but it is kind of corny. It's a little UBS plug-in light. There's a light on the back side of the little heart there that says, I love you. It, it's really kind of lame. Anyways, <clears throat> but did you know that uh, at least one billion Valentines will be given out tomorrow? And, and did you know that men spend on an average twice as much as women on this day of giving gifts? Did you know that? Well, it's because you women are just so much more valuable. We just love you and want to show with all of our heart, and you're all so expensive. Um, <clears throat> now, now, can you guess what the, what the top gifts are on Valentine's Day? Yes, you said it. More than 189 million roses will be given out tomorrow. Uh, there will be nearly 8 billion of these, of these conversation hearts that will be consumed and given out. Uh, Also, as well, there will be more than uh, 36 million heart-shaped boxes of chocolates will be given out and consumed. And and we've got want to give you some little chocolates and conversation hearts, so my little uh, Cupid's helpers are getting out there. Just go ahead and pass them out. You just run. Yeah, there you go. Uh, Run with that. Hand out some. You know, not everybody's going to get some, but just those who sit up front. Yeah, so, you know, those back, forget you. No, you know, it's great to get gifts on Valentine's Day. It's, it's, it's great to show a, and to give a token of love because it's, it's not really the gift, right? It's, it's the relationship and the love behind the gift and the meaning behind it. You know, how would you feel if, if you got a gift and found out that they gave it not out of a choice of love but more out of obligation, <laughs> It would, be, uh, um, it would be deflating. Uh, you might even be hurt or, or confused because it's all about a relationship, not just a, a gift or a, or a custom or a ritual we go through. There's a connection. Uh, we are hoping to celebrate and reinforce and, and be excited about this relationship. And yet we all know that, that love and relationships can turn cold and they can move to empty actions. 
people can drift apart. Marriages can struggle. Friendships fail. And, and even in our faith, our relationship with Jesus can turn into just ritualistic, empty actions. We can go to church. We can read our Bibles. We can pray. We can have communion. We can participate in Christmas and Easter. And, and somewhere along the line, it can turn into just simply ritual. Jesus even warned us about, against this kind of ritualistic problem in Matthew chapter 6, verse 7, when he said, don't go about praying with meaningless repetitions. Put some heart into it. Mean what you say. Or, or in, in 1 Corinthians 13, you know the, the love chapter, that we can do all kinds of great, godly, religious actions, but if they're void of love, if it's not motivated by love, it's meaningless and even becomes somewhat annoying, like a loud and noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. See, love is a choice to act a, a certain way towards someone. And I choose to, uh, uh, because it's a choice. Like me, I choose to love my wife, my family, my friends, my God. And that love is expressed in actions. But it's easy over time just to go through the motions. Yet there is help. This next section in our Bible study, as we look through the Bible book of Luke, Luke chapter 5, verses 33 to, to 6, verse 11, helps us and, and gives us four ways to keep our relationship with Jesus from turning ritual. And it may even help our human other relationships as well. So I want us to launch into this study, if you wouldn't mind standing for just a moment uh, as we pray. The reality is, is that I know that love and ritual go hand in hand. But sometimes the ritualistic nature of our human self gets in the way. And God wants us to have a thriving, exciting relationship with Him. Yes, it has some actions to it. But the actions lead us to Him. And so let's ask Him to help us understand His Word this morning, that our relationship with Him can thrive and be exciting. Father, thank You for the, the moment that we're going to spend together looking into these interesting stories, uh, interactions that Jesus had with these religious leaders. Father, help us to see where we might change so that our relationship with You is, is vibrant and exciting, and passionate and growing. Challenge us this hour, we pray in Your Son's name. Amen. You may have a seat, and I encourage you to take out the worship folder that you were given. Fold it over. There's an outline that's there. It's got some blanks you need to fill in. The answers will be up on the screen. And I also encourage you to always write down some of these extra verses. You're going to want to look at them later. And like the Matthew 6, verse 7 I mentioned in 1 Corinthians 13, you want to look at those later. But <clears throat> the, there are four interactions Jesus had with people here in Luke. These people were more interested in ritual than relationship. And what's interesting about these four stories is that each one of them is found in two other Gospels, in Matthew and in Mark. And I've listed the addresses to those so you can go along there. We're studying Luke's version of this, but let's first look at these four ways to keep our relationship with Jesus from turning ritual. Let's look at the first one, which is to love Jesus as a friend. Now, in this particular scene that we'll get into in just a moment, we're in Matthew's house. Matthew just had a life-changing experience. Jesus came along and said, follow me, dropped everything and, and followed Jesus. And he, then he had a big outreach event <laughs> where he invited all his non, 
uh, Christian friends and, 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 and wanted to show them off Jesus and tell them about Jesus. And, and, and Jesus, of course, was there, but also who was there were these ritualistic religious right people, these people, and they began to criticize Jesus. They were uh, ritualistic religious leaders. And let's look at what they say in Matthew chapter 5, verse 33. They, those religious leaders stuck in that religious ritual rut, said to him, Jesus, John's disciples often fast and pray, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours go on eating and drinking. Later on, you'll find out as you read through the, the Gospels that, that they actually the Pharisees call Jesus a glutton and, and someone who doesn't even care about the law. And he's, they were criticizing him. They had lost, these religious leaders had lost their friendship, their love of God, and gotten caught up in thinking that following God's law, following God's rules would all, was all there was. That just do the duty, and you're good. I'm good. I'll just do my duty. Don't engage the heart. Don't do what the purpose of the law was designed to, but I'm just going to go about these empty actions. And they were so dutiful in their actions that what they did is they took God's law, and then they decided, well, I'm going to go one step further, because if this is being righteous and holy, following God's law, then if I do more than what God asks, and put this, they called it a hedge around the law, uh, and I do more than what God says, then I must be super holy or super religious. And so they created this hedge. If God said, do this, they said, well, I'm going to do one step more. And that's even better. So they began to do that, and, and, and they, they, they'd be even more dutiful, and yet still not moving their heart. And we can be just like this. We can go about our, our seeking God, our coming to church and our participating in communion and, and try, seeking to live life God's way and, and trying to be even more holy by the actions we do and, and they can become void of relationship. And it was never meant to be that way. God meant for these actions that he wants us to be involved in. This taking in of his word and to, to nourish on and meditate on God's law day and night to, to take that in and to spend time with him to be all about, relig- all about the, the relationship with him leading us to a deeper and greater understanding of him, to enjoy serving him and to enjoy that relationship. But these religious leaders were criticizing Jesus, criticizing Jesus because he was not following their additional rules. You see, pride had set in. And they were putting forth their extra religious way. They felt that their their ritual was the true way to be. And because of their power... And their position, they push their way of faith on others. Now, write down somewhere in Matthew 23 and look at that later at how Jesus really feels about these religious leaders, what they were doing as they sat in the seat of Moses and tied heavy weights on people. They had lost their relationship, their friendship with God. They had missed the whole purpose of living life God's way. Galatians 3.24 says, So the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ. This law, this way that God wants us to live, was put in charge to lead us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. The law, the the set of actions and special ceremonies and prohibitions and ways of doing things were not faith in themselves, but to bring us to faith and to strengthen our faith like it did with Abraham. Look at James chapter 2, verse 23. And the scriptures were fulfilled 
that say Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. God's friend because Abraham saw these actions leading him and allowing him to know God and to relate to him. So he chose to engage his heart and passionately follow God, to let these actions, these rules, God's way to lead them to God because his focus was on God. And that's what Jesus was getting at. Back in Luke chapter 5, verse 34, he goes on and he says this, Jesus said, can you make the guests or the friends of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. In those days, they will fast. He's talking about the friends of the bridegroom. Now, in my house, it's kind of wedding central right now. It's just all a buzz because we have three weddings in nine months. And uh, so everybody is getting their sets, and we have everything. We have the big things together. We have dates, destination, and dresses, and that's important. So we've got those, those together, and they're, they're moving. But they've also been choosing their attendants, you know, the people that will stand next to them and their friends. And they're there not just to do a duty because they have things to do, but they're there out of love and friendship. And so what Jesus is trying to make that correlation that you would never ask a, a, a groom's attendants to stop but, but to serve the groom. Their job is to serve the groom and to help them and to, to move about that and to be friends with them. I, I've done a lot of weddings as a pastor, and there have been some that have been interesting. Some of the attendants, you know, that stand up with them think that it's, it's their time. <laughs> as a matter of fact, there was one wedding I heard about that uh, the maid of honor was so upset that it wasn't about her, she actually ran away and hid and was there crying, why is it always about her? When is my time? It's not now. (laughs) Now is the bride's time. Now is the groom's time. And so Jesus is getting at it. It's that relationship, that friendship relationship that we should be about. Those, Those attendants are there for the bride, for the groom. Jesus talks and tells us what it's meant to be his friend in John chapter 15, if you can, just uh, go east a little bit to John chapter 15. It says in verse 13, greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Jesus says, you are my friends if you do my commands. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know the master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything I have heard and learned from the Father, I have made known to you. Jesus calls us friends and so we are to love jesus as friends not just through empty actions but like that bond of a friend that stands with you at your wedding choose to commit to him to believe in him to know him and to trust him and as john 15 13 says clearly says that if we are god's friends christ's friends we will obey him so the question is what about you is he your friend Do you love him as friend? Then do what he says. Be like those attendants at the wedding. Care about what he wants. Service his needs, his purposes. Love Jesus and others as friends, and those relationships will be rich and vibrant, fresh, and great blessings that they should be. Well, the next way to to keep our relationship with Jesus from turning ritualistic is to love Jesus anew. Jesus goes on to deal with these uh, stuck in the religious rut of their religion people in, in verse 36 of chapter 5. He told them a parable. 
No one tears a patch from a new garment and sews it onto the old one. If he does, he will have torn the new garment, and the patch from the new garment will not match the old. No one pours new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins. The wine will run out, and the wineskin will be ruined. No, new wine must be poured into new wineskins, and no one, after drinking old wine, wants the new, for he says, the old is better. So he gives a couple of illustrations here uh, that you wouldn't tear apart a perfectly good garment to fix an old one because not only will it ruin the, the new one, but it also won't match the old one. And you don't take new wine in its fermented process and put it in an old wineskin that's tight and tough and brittle. It'll just burst the wineskin. You put it in a new wineskin that, that's, that's pliable. And, and then he says, no one who's satisfied with the old wants to, to go try the new and what he's getting at here is that the old-style religi- religious and ritualistic thinking and the practices don't mix with this new, and it's really not new, it's old idea that God wants to be in relationship with man. Yet man keeps reverting back to this old ritualistic law or rule of following a set of guidelines or rules. And it's, it's a constant pull to just go through the, the motions of our spiritual life. And so what we need to do is we need to love Jesus anew. Yes, the rules and the law are important, but they have a purpose. It's like a game. Now, you guys all have games at home. Here's, here's apples to apples. Uh, inside the game, one of the first things you see is a, is a set of rules. Now, is this the game, the rules? N- no. Yeah, <laughs> it's the fun of the game now if we spend all our time and just read the rules is that playing the game no the rules help us play the game so that everybody has a good time right now you can try to make up your own rules <laughs> which many of you do and change them as you go through these games and it messes up the idea is to follow the rules of the game because that's how we can best experience all that that game has with it. Now, faith is not a game, but it is fun. And it does have some rules. And the rules aren't unrealistic. They have a purpose, so that we would have a wonderful relationship with Jesus. And that takes constant renewal and reminder, because we always want to go back, well, let me just look through the rules and, and just spend time with the rules. Our human nature draws us back into that. If I just do the actions and not really think about it and just kind of go through the motions, then that's it. That's the game. That's not the game. That's not faith. Just simply doing rule after rule after rule. I'm just going to go to church and sit there. No change. I'm just going to read my Bible. No change. I'm going to spend time serving Jesus. I'm going to work in a nursery, help out in this, or, do, or be as good as I can. No change. We have to engage our heart and be renewed by that because it's not about the rules. It's about the one behind the rules. How sad would it be to just simply go through the motions? You see, we need to love Jesus anew by remembering who it is that we're serving. Remembering how fun the game is to play, how fun the, the, the relationship with him is, and to be about that. And our tendency is to go back to that old way and not engage in the heart. 
How sad would it be to play a game and, and just read the rules and never get about playing the game? Or more than that, how about if we just go through the, the motions of a relationship? You know, uh, uh, Christy and I have been married for 20-some, six-plus years, and, and uh, um, I hope it's that much. <laughs> 83. Anyway, <laughs> somebody do the math for me. Um, <clears throat> she's not here, so phew, next service I'll get it. <laughs> Uh, but <laughs> I'll, I'll write it down. <laughs> I'll put it on my hand here. But uh, you know, let's say I go through my relationship with Christy, and and you know, I I just just go robot. Hello, Christy. I love you. <laughs> and I just go through the the motions. On Valentine's Day, here's a flower. Here's a card already printed. I didn't say anything, but sign my name. <laughs> you know. We laugh and, and we think that's just cold, but sometimes we get that way with God. And what I need to do is I, and this happens in, in our human relationships as well, is I need to renew my love by thinking about how awesome Christy is. She is amazing. Just an, an incredible woman with, with phenomenal talents. She's an excellent mom. She's a, just a, a, a superb teacher. And she is a wonderful mate. And she's not that bad looking either. <laughs> and as I begin to start thinking about her and thinking about how much I love her and, and that, that passion begins to well up and I think about empty nests and I'm going, yes! <laughs> I, I, let me dream a little bit, Brad, Okay. <laughs> You see, these sideways, old way with God people were not uh, about renewal, but just simply same old, same old. Rule after rule after rule. Don't let your relationship with Jesus get like that. Renew it. Grow in your knowledge of Jesus. Focus on Him. Serve Him in greater ways. Uh, Go without sacrifice. Not an animal, but maybe your time and energy and money. And stretch out and listen and sing new songs. In, in, the, book of the, uh, in the book of the Psalms, uh, verse 33.3 and verse 43 and verse 96.1 all say, sing to him a new song. Do you know what the word new in Hebrew means? New. It means new. Sing to him a new song. But I like the old songs. So do I. But we need to create new songs and, 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 and think about Jesus in, 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 in open and understanding in broader ways and, and so that we would love him anew and with new thoughts and new words and new melodies. See, the problem is this old way of the Pharisees was thinking and following these rules. They thought in doing that, they would be holy. But that doesn't make them holy. Doing actions, going to church, reading your Bible, serving Jesus, those are all great things, but they don't make us holy. The only thing that makes us holy is a relationship with Jesus. And it starts with belief. First of all, admitting that we're sinful. And we are, the Bible's clear. We're all of a sudden falls short of the glory of God. And then understanding that we can't do anything about that sin. We can't 
get involved in a bunch of ritual and rules and, and figure out that's going to uh, deal with our sin. It, it can't be done that way. There's nothing we can humanly do to rid ourselves of sin. It's impossible. And so we need a Savior. And how we start that relationship with Him is through belief. It's confession that we're sinful, confession that we need a Savior, and it's committing our life in relationship with Him, focused on Him, and living life His way, playing by His rules. And it's renewing that relational focus all the time, understanding it's not about the stuff we do, but it's that the person that we serve the awesome, holy God, the the triune God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Uh, Jerry Bridges quotes Andrew Bernard in his classic book, Pursuit of Holiness, a book that uh, we elders are going through and just being renewed again. As to what we need to be renewed on, Bonar uh, makes this quote. He says, it's not the importance of the thing, the rules, God's law, but it's the majesty of the lawgiver that we need to focus on. To love Jesus anew, constantly growing in our knowledge of him, expanding our service, increasing our sacrifice, singing new songs, deepening our worship, to love Jesus anew. To keep focusing on not the rules, but on him. Love him anew. As well, to keep our relationship with Jesus fresh and not ritual, we are to love him as Lord. Go back to Luke chapter six. Now, Chapter 5 is over, chapter 6, verse 1. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and his disciples began to pick some heads of grain and rub them in their hands and eat them and eat the kernels. Some of the Pharisees asked, Why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Jesus pulls out a scene from the Old Testament. If you want to write it down and look it up later, it's 1 Samuel chapter 21, verses 1 to 7. It's a, it's a story where, uh, or a happening where uh, David is hungry and he goes to the temple and all that's there is the consecrated bread. And it was used in, 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 in worship of God. And then the, the Levitical law was that they, could, they would take that out and give it to the Levites, the priests, to use. And yet David takes it. And it violated some commands. And this presented a problem. You see, Pharisees condemned Jesus' disciples. And if they did that, they would also have to condemn David. And yet nowhere in the Bible are these actions questioned of David. Because rituals should give way to human need and human relationship. That people and relationship and the relational element are more important. And there are moments that the Sabbath can be waived to save a life, to heal, to care for. And Jesus gives note of those all throughout the Gospels. And besides, it's not these self-acclaimed interpreters of the ritualistic nature of the rules who define the law, but Jesus, who is Lord, Lord of the Sabbath. Mark, in his account of this incident, says in verses 27 and 28, when he, Jesus, said to them, then he, Jesus, said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is the Lord, even of the Sabbath. See, It's not the rules that makes us righteous or holy or the best Christian, but it's Jesus. He's the one who makes us righteous. And these laws, these rules, these ways help keep us focused on the relational place that Jesus has in our life. 
and should have as Lord, owner, master, supreme authority, loved in the relational place as Lord. Let me illustrate this with my love for my smoking hot wife, Christy. (laughs) You see, I could uh, easily um, uh, go about just the ritualistic thing as we mentioned before. And yet, I give her a card. I give her flowers. Uh, She likes uh, Baby Ruth candies, candy bar. Or I could give her M&M's. The M&M's will do because I think it's, you know, because of me. My initials are Mike McKay. And I could be forced into giving her gifts and doing the appropriate thing. Yet the reality is I have chosen to love her in that relational place as wife. And God's word instructs me how to do that. One of the key places is it says, Men, love your wife as Christ loves the church. Now, how did Jesus love the church? Well, he gave himself to her. He sacrificed. He, put the, he lifted up the church, and he put himself as a servant. And, and so I know that I should do that, and so therefore, on, when the special days like Valentine's come, I want to honor her in that place as wife from the rules that God has told me to. And that's the motivation behind what I do. Because she is in that relational place of wife. In the same way, Jesus, uh, with Jesus, we are to choose to love him in that relational place as Lord through the, the guidelines that the Bible gives us to honor him and to respect him, to give him the admiration and the obedience that he deserves as Lord in that relational place as Lord. We are to love him as Lord. The, the Bible's clear. It's the greatest commandment. Remember that in Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 and 38, Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment with all of our heart, to, to, to the, the center and seat of our will to love him, to love him with all of our soul, our inner being, with all of our mind, our thoughts, to love Jesus as Lord. Lastly, to keep our relationship with Jesus from being ritual, we are to love beyond expectations. Look at verse 6 of chapter 6 of Luke. On another Sabbath, he went to, into the synagogue to teach, and there was a man whose right hand was shriveled. And you can almost see the scene. You know, here he walks in, and the Pharisees are all you know, looking at the man with the withered hand, looking at Jesus. And they had an expectation. They expected Jesus to follow their hedge of the law, their religious ritualistic rules. And they had set certain things that you couldn't heal on the Sabbath. They had chosen that they had put, pushed out the bar and said to heal on the Sabbath with work, and you shouldn't work on the Sabbath. You can heal every other day, but you can't heal on the Sabbath. And Jesus, seeing their hearts because he knows everything, went ahead and healed this man. And in verse 11, it says, and they began, these religious leaders began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. Now Luke downplays what Matthew and Mark say in this incident. Matthew and Mark say they looked at that point 
to kill Jesus. They made it in their mind that this Jesus was such a renegade that they had to rid him of their lives. They sought to kill him. The Pharisees expected Jesus to follow their way, to validate their ritualistic order of things. Their pride and arrogance sought to catch him in their made-up ritualistic religion. And of all ironies, they wanted to kill him for doing good. Expectations can be a killer of faith when we have greater than expectations on Jesus, that he's supposed to be some kind of magic genie that whenever we have a, a problem, we just kind of, you know, rub the side of our Bible and, you know, okay, Jesus, come on, Jesus. <laughs> and hopefully he'll fix our problem because, of course, it's a problem and, and Jesus is there to fix our problems because he's that magic genie or, or some kind of superman that flies in and rescues the day or, or or he's some infuser of good feelings that if we sit in church long enough that somehow we'll just kind of vibrate through and wow, I feel rich, righteous, yeah, and religious. <laughs> Jesus is beyond our expectations and beyond our feelings. I love C.S. Lewis's image of Jesus in the Chronicles of Narnia as the lion Aslan. He's not a tame lion, they say. And it seems like every time you see him, he's bigger and a little more fierce and a little more, whoa, <laughs> I'm not sure he's going to eat me or love me. <laughs> yes, we can expect Jesus to be what the Bible says he is, but we are to be careful we don't put greater expectations on him. The big question is, who is Jesus to you? Is he a God of your own making, in your own mind? Or is he the God of the Bible who this reveals him to? You know, the Bible is called God's revelation of himself to us. What does this book say about him? Do you really know him well? Make it your life quest to know him more and more and be amazed at how wonderful he is. Because he is beyond our expectations so much more wonderful than we can imagine. Relationships are, are interactive. They're invigorating, a love connection, and a bond that is meaningful and, and, and that involves actions and celebrations. And Jesus reaches out to us with a, a relational love like that. And so we need to reach like Jesus for relationships not for ritual, by loving Jesus as a friend, by loving Jesus anew, by loving Jesus as Lord, by loving Jesus beyond expectations. These are good principles to bolster our interaction with Jesus, but also in our relationships with others. Take on these ways. Don't just go through the motions with your spouse. Put some love behind it. That friend, that parent, that partner or friend that you work alongside with, show some love. If there is ever a time our world needs to see genuine, godly love motivated from a heart that loves God, it's now. This Valentine's Day, tomorrow, think about not only how much God loves you, but think about the people around you and love them the way God loves you. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for the opportunity to bring your word today as it challenges us to love 
you beyond ritual, to love you in that relational kind of love that is motivated by our heart. Father, help us to see that. Help us to grow in that. Help us to um, be motivated to love you deeply and not just go through the, the rules. But Lord, help us to be involved in those actions, motivated by the great love we have of you, motivated by who you are. Help us, we pray, in your son's name. Amen.